going to back up and start, I'm going to start reading in, in chapter, I mean in chapter 2, verse 11 this morning, just to give us a little context. We looked at these verses last week, but just to refresh our memories, verse 11. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one, and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments and, or, commandments and ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, and we pray that you would indeed impress it upon our souls this morning. Uh, Lord, help us to heed its warnings, to be encouraged by uh, the good news, to, to take it seriously and to look at it as it is, God's word, your word to us. Lord, we pray that we would uh, be able to apply it to our lives in such a way that we would be shaped and molded into your image and that we would bring glory and honor to your name. And Lord, we thank you that we have this privilege of being able uh, to hear your word proclaimed. Lord, I pray for help as I proclaim it, that you would uh, remove me from the scene and speak through me. Uh, Lord, we, uh, everybody knows that I'm a sinner just like everybody else, and I pray, Lord, that we would all uh, benefit from the scriptures this morning that the Spirit would apply it to us, that we would grow in grace and in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, we pray for all those who are here today, that you would make us willing and attentive listeners, and that the meditations of our hearts would be pleasing in your sight. And Lord, we pray for those who might not be with us today because of illness or, or family issues, or maybe they're traveling uh, or, Lord, maybe the weather kept them back. We pray, Lord, that, that we would uh, renew fellowship again next week. But, Lord, for those who might be ill or struggling with depression or whatever the case might be, we pray that you would minister to their hearts, bring the comfort of the Holy Spirit into their lives. Lord, we thank you that uh, you are a God of comfort. And, Lord, we also want to lift up our, our nation to you. And we pray for the president and for those in government from the federal government on down to the local government. We pray that you would be with those who are in, in, in these positions of power over us and pray, Lord, that they would represent us well, that they would rule according to your word in truth and in righteousness. 
and that you would help us, Lord, to flourish. We see in our land uh, things kind of unraveling and morality is waning. Lord, we pray that you would take your word to us this morning, apply it in our lives in such a way as that we, we would move out from this place and make a difference in our world, that we would be, uh, that we would be light in the darkness, that we, we would be uh, preserving salt in the world. Uh, Lord, we pray that we would be a city set on a hill to provide guidance and direction and an example to the world around us. And Lord, make us agents for change in this difficult world in which we live. We pray for those who are being persecuted for their faith throughout the world. We pray that you give them strength and uphold them uh, as they testify to your grace and mercy in their lives, as they point people to Jesus Christ by their lives. And for those who are missionaries, Lord, we support quite a number, and we pray that you would strengthen them in their work, and may the gospel go forth throughout all the world, and we thank you for the part we can play in supporting that work that they do uh, to, to take the good news of salvation throughout the world. Lord, we thank you for hearing these prayers that we bring to you this morning, and we look forward to your word now. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Who are you? Uh, it's a fundamental question. Who are you? What defines you? Where do you get your identity? It may not be a question that you think about a lot, but it really does have a lot to do with the way that we live our lives, the way that we behave. Uh, the way that we answer that question is manifold. We might define ourselves by saying, uh, I'm a, a banker or a lawyer or a teacher or a housewife. We might point to our occupation. Uh, we might point to our family. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm a Horn, uh, I'm a Harrison, I'm a Bagby. Uh, we might point to our citizenship. I'm an American, or I'm from Mississippi, or Alabama, or New Jersey. Or we might define ourselves by other uh, less poignant things like our sports team. I'm a Saints fan, or a, I'm an Auburn fan, or an Alabama fan, or an Ole Miss fan, or a Mississippi State fan. Or by our level of success. I'm a straight-A student. I'm a successful businessman. I'm a parent whose children are all well-balanced and well-behaved. All of these things uh, can identify us. There are many layers to our identities because we are many things. We have an occupation. We have an ethnicity. We have citizenship. But we assign to those different layers uh, the different components of our identities, we assign uh, imp greater importance to certain things than others. You know, some people place way too much importance on their sports teams. And, you know, if their team loses, uh, it ruins their week. And they're completely affected by that. Other people could care less, even though they may root for the team. Some people place uh, a lot of weight upon their occupation. And it defines, you know, it's a, it's a really important definer of who they are. Other people look at their families for that definition, and they may weight that more important. A lot of, uh, a lot of uh, the commercials and advertisements in our world are, are encouraging us to identify ourselves by the way that we look, the way that we dress, the kind of gadgets we have in our hands, whether it be an iPad or an iPhone or, the, or this smartphone or, or what have you. You have to have these things in order to have a cool identity. So you see, identity plays a lot in the way that we live our lives, in the way that we assign importance to the certain 
aspects or components of our identity. As Christians, we have an identity. And that's what this passage is really uh, talking about as Paul addresses these Ephesians. They're Gentiles, and they have become believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. And what Paul is saying is that your status has completely changed. You know, your identity is now different than it was before. If you go back to chapter 2, verse 1, it it tells that, you know, once you were dead in sin and trespasses, but now you're alive in Christ. There's been a change. Once you were alienated from Christ, you were estranged, you were distant from the promises that God made to his people, you were without God in the world, you were on the outside, you were an outsider. And that's how the Ephesians and everybody, for that matter, who is without Christ, is defined. But now you've been brought near, Paul tells the Ephesians. You've, you've been, uh, the, the enmity between you and God has been erased. He killed the hostility by Christ dying on the cross. He, he was a mediator between God and man. He brought them together. So now you have a new identity. And verses 19 and following describe that identity. That identity consists in three things. Christians are fellow citizens with the saints. That's one picture. This is a picture of a a kingdom or a nation. And then the second image that he gives us is a household. Christians are members of a household, the household of God. And that has certain implications for our lives. And then finally, Christians are a holy temple in the Lord. We have this image that defines the Christian and describes the Christian. These are important definitions. You know, your sports team, uh, where you're from, your ethnicity, even your name, uh, your family, all of these things are temporal and really aren't as important as how we are defined in relationship to God. That's the most important definition of your life. What is your relationship to God? You know, what is the... What is the identity you have in relation to God? Because, you know, we we are going to die one day, and whether you're an Auburn fan or an Alabama fan or a Mississippi State fan or an Ole Miss fan, that's not going to matter at all in eternity. That question is is not going to be asked, you know. We're not going to be singing who dat in heaven. I know that's sad for some of you. But, you know, these things are, are passing. Even our family, even our ethnicity. These things are, are passing things. What's eternal is how we relate to God. And that's why Paul is stressing these things. Look, you know, once you were lost, you were dead, you were estranged, you were alienated, you were an enemy of God. But now, God has done something incredible. He's, he's invaded your life with his grace, and he has, he has given you a new status, a new identity, and one that is eternal, is lasting, and has implications for the here and now, even though the fullness of it won't be enjoyed until the new heavens and new earth when Christ returns. But let's look at these things in turn and think about them for a few minutes and what the implications might be for our lives. First, he tells us that Christians are fellow citizens with the saints. We've got this image of a new nation, a new a kingdom. And of course, that's what Christ came. He came announcing a new kingdom was coming. And he's the ruler of this kingdom, and it's an everlasting kingdom. And so we are citizens as Christians. You know, we might be a, you know, from Mississippi or, 
We, we might be Americans, and these things might define us to a degree, but what trumps that is that we're citizens of his kingdom. America's not going to last forever. Mississippi's not going to last forever. You know, this earth, is, you know, as it is, is not going to last forever, but God's kingdom is going to last forever. And whether you're a citizen of that kingdom or not is really what's most important. And God has given us, by his grace, through what Christ did, through his blood, the opportunity to be citizens of that kingdom. Now, as you look at these uh, layers of your identity, you know, you might have some things on the top that aren't so important, and as you rank them, you know, what is really foundational to your identity? You know, some things may not be as important to you at one time, and then they become more important to you later. As you become a believer, when someone is converted to Christ, what you see happening is the identity of, as a Christian sinks down lower in importance. And some of the things that were important to you aren't as important anymore. For example, sports teams or, or how much money you make. Those things aren't as important and your Christian identity becomes more important. So yes, we are citizens of America, but what much, what's more, more importantly, we're citizens of God's kingdom. And that means the differences that we have with people aren't as important. You know, we, we can look at people from other countries and other nations and if they're citizens of God's kingdom, we have something in common with them. Probably something more important in common with them than we do with non-believers who are also Americans. I was always stunned by that when you know, we lived in England in a, in a, in a certain place that, that got a lot of tourism. It's a place of natural beauty, the, the area we lived in, and people would often come. There was lots of uh, visitors from Australia and South Africa and different places like that. And... Uh, and we were one of the few evangelical Reformed churches around. And so Christians would, would find out uh, our church and they would come. And, and it was amazing how you could just connect with people from the other side of the world because of this common citizenship you had uh, in the kingdom of God. You were believers and you had something to talk about, to relate with one another about. So we're citizens of this new kingdom. I've given you a, a passage there where Paul mentions it to the Philippians. For many of uh, this Philippians 3, and if you have one of those flyers, it's printed there for you. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you, even with tears walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame. What he's meaning is they're, just, they're driven by their own natural desires. They glory in their belly. They glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. So as we think about being citizens of this kingdom, we have a hope. You know, Our hope is not in making a lot of money or having a certain status or being dressed a certain way, but we long for something eternal, something that's coming when the Lord Jesus returns, and that's what we set our hope upon. And we have to keep reminding ourselves of these things, and that's how we stand firm thus in the Lord, as Paul says it there in verse 1 of chapter 4 of Philippians. We wait for him. We look forward to that day when his kingdom trumps all other kingdoms. And it's the one that lasts forever. So yes, 
as we think about our citizenship, uh, that's the most important thing. Our citizenship being in heaven and looking forward to that and living in light of that. Now the second thing that he mentions, the second image he gives us is of a household. Christians are members of the household of God, he says. Uh, We are not only allowed to be citizens in God's kingdom, he actually adopts us into his family. Now think about that for a moment. You know, we are born enemies of God. Naturally, we don't want to have anything to do with God. We're bent towards sin and we're going the wrong way. And God has done something to rescue us from that. And he has allowed us to have a relationship with him. We've been talking about that throughout the service, that, that God wants to be our God and he wants us to be his people. And uh, he, he, through Christ, is able to make us not only from enemies to citizens, but from enemies to his children. You know, people who rebelled and hated and worshipped other gods in his place. Now he wants to be uh, your heavenly father. And really that is uh, an astounding thing, that God, the one who spoke the universe into existence, has, uh, has given us the opportunity to be not only his friends, but his children as well. And he loves us like a, like a heavenly father would. Love his child. And it means that we have a different relationship. You know, when that identity takes hold in your heart, really at the bottom level of your heart, it changes the way, hey, you relate to God, but also the way that you relate to other believers, to other brothers and sisters in Christ. We're part of the same family. We're on the same team. And we're like a family. You know, yeah, hey, we got problems. We might even fight and bicker. And some people are, you know... The, the crazy people at the, you know, at the party with the family. You know, you've, you've gone to, a lot of you will go to Christmas parties this year and you'll say, there's a few black sheep. I think last night we had our party. And uh, I think I was deemed the white sheep of the family in a family full of black sheep. And uh, I take great pride in that. That's my identity. So that's, that's bad. I shouldn't say that. But see, that, that we're, we're members of the family. And yeah, we've got some issues with one another, but hey, we have to overcome those things, love one another, and let that identity as children, we're both children of God, Heavenly Father, and we connect with one another. It also, as I said before, it matters, uh, this, this identity as a child of God has an impact on the way that we live our lives. When that becomes your identity, when you think, I'm a child of God, how, sh- how should I live as, as, a, as a son of God? Well, First John 3, he says, see what kind, or I like the old King James Version, behold, you know, check this out. Look at this, look at what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. You know, we look at our families, and you can see the family resemblance. You know, we, you know, we, we, uh, we look like our, our fathers and mothers, we, our siblings look like us. We have a family resemblance. As Christians who are children of God, we should bear a family resemblance. 
And God is holy. He's pure. And that's uh, uh, the family resemblance that we should bear as Christians. And so as you think about not only being a citizen of the kingdom, but a, a child of God, that becomes part of your identity as you grow in Christ, becoming a more controlling part of your identity. It has certain implications for your lives, and purity is one of those implications. Now, the third thing that we see here is that Christians are a holy temple in the Lord. Uh, he, he lays this out a little bit more than the others by saying uh, we have, in verse 19, uh, 19, we are members of the household God, verse 20, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. So these things, as we've been reading Isaiah chapter 9, for example, this morning, the prophets pointing us to Christ, telling us about the things of God, being a mouthpiece for God, uh, shaping and molding the people of God on the, on the way as God is building for himself this, this, uh, this people of God built on the apostles, the prophets, and Christ Jesus is the cornerstone. You think, well, why isn't Christ Jesus the foundation? Well, the cornerstone of a building was the most important part. It held it all together. The apostles point to it. I mean, the, 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 the prophets pointed to it. The apostles uh, preached it. It was all in relation to the cross of Christ. Jesus is the cornerstone. He's what holds the whole thing all together. It's because of him that there is a building at all. So he's the cornerstone, and the whole structure is being joined together. It's growing into a holy temple in the Lord. So he's really stressing in this chapter the, the erasing of the differences between Jews and Gentiles. And he's saying, look, those, those identifiers, the way that you identify yourself as Jewish or Gentile, is not so important anymore. God's taken those two groups, and he's made them one. And he's, and he's work, building them all together into one people for himself. They're all going to join together. They're all little stones in this great building, this temple in the Lord. And God is going to dwell with them. He's going to be their God. And they're going to be his people. So we're this building. God's glory dwells in, in Christians. His royal presence enters our lives and takes up residence in us by his spirit. It tells us here that we are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. It has an impact on the way that we look at other people. We're all connected. Uh, you know, the, our nationalities and socioeconomic levels and all these things don't matter as much as whether or not we are his people or not his people. And we gather together and we, we worship together and the Spirit is present in us and when we gather together as well. And we're bringing honor and glory to his name. 1 Corinthians 6, I've given you that on your uh, flyer. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. You were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. See, having that as an identity, that I am a, a, you know, a, a child of God, a citizen of heaven, and also I'm being indwelt by the Holy Spirit. Uh, I'm... I am a temple and I'm part of the temple uh, of God. It makes a difference in the way that you live your life. You're not your own. You were bought with a price. Glorify God in your body, Paul tells the Corinthians. Now as we have these three different images that Paul gives the Ephesians here, 
Notice, we looked at each one in turn, but notice that each of these images exhibits a, a more intimate relationship with God as they go. First you have uh, a citizen. Now a king lives in the same region with his people. You know, you talk about a, the, the king's a, a kingdom, the domain of the king. And we lived in a kingdom in England. We lived in the United Kingdom of Great Britain and Northern Ireland. And the queen, she lived not too far from us in Buckingham Palace. And so she was, we lived in relation to her, but she never invited me over uh, for some reason. And, uh, you know, most people didn't get, but I did know some people who went to see the queen, quite a privilege, and they were quite proud of it. But not hardly anybody, you know, the mass majority of people, 55, 60 million people, they didn't get to hang out with the queen very much. So you've got a king, a kingdom, God's kingdom, and the picture is of a king that lives, you know, with, with his people, but the next picture of a family, that's much more intimate. A father knows his children. You know, they live in the same house with one another. They're intimately acquainted with one another. And then you have this idea of the temple, which is even closer because God dwelt in the temple. You remember when the temple was built and they dedicated it in the Old Testament. God's Shekinah glory came down and he... he filled the temple with his glory and his presence. And that's where people in the Old Testament went to meet with God. In the, to the Holy of Holies, once a year, the high priest would go to make atonement for the sins of the people. And they would point to the temple. That's where God lives. And they, they got to be a point of arrogance with them. Well, God's not going to destroy us because why would he destroy his house? He lives here. He's not going to let anybody invade us. So we've got... First of all, a king living in the country, a father living in the household, and then the spirit actually living inside us in the very temple. So this picture of intimacy is very strong in these three images that we get here. What a great privilege it is to be uh, one of God's people and to have these characteristics, these identities that we can draw on, and the assurance that it gives us that God is very near to us and close to us and, and loves us. So see, it's not just church. It's not just about going to church on Sunday, you know, being a Christian. There's much more than that. It's a new relationship with God that has implications for our lives. And, and God has been gracious and kind to, to have a relationship with us. There's a great book that J.I. Packer wrote called Knowing God. Uh, and in it, he talks about you know, what is the most important thing. And it is knowing God, having a relationship with God. And uh, throughout the Bible, from Genesis to Revelation, you have this phrase in not so many words, in, in, in so many words, throughout it, I will be your God and you will be my people. And that's God's covenant promise overarching the whole Bible. God is seeking to be a God to his people. And he's made that possible through Christ. You know, you know, killing the hostility, as it says here in Ephesians 2, through Christ's blood sacrifice for us to, to make us clean so that we can have this access to God. Uh, God is making this possible and he's going to bring it to fruition one day. And that's what's really important, our knowing God, having a relationship with God. So I want to encourage you today, <clears throat> if you do have a relationship with God, to think about these images, these, these identities, 
as Christians and the implications of that for your life and let those identities sink down to where they're more important than you know, what team you root for or where your, even your citizenship is or your ethnicity, even. Those, those things are going to fade away. Those things are temporal. There, there's, there's varying degrees of importance to each one of them, but none of them is as important as being a citizen in, in heaven, a child of God, or a temple of the Holy Spirit. These are the more important things that, that affect our lives for eternity. And if you don't know the Lord today, if you don't have a relationship with him, <clears throat> I'll take you back to the very beginning of the service, to the call to worship. You know, God is not asking you to jump through hoops to become a citizen. You know, when we, we lived in a foreign country, I had the opportunity to become a citizen in England. After five years of being a permanent resi- resident, you could pay a certain amount of money and you could take an oath to the queen and you could actually have dual citizenship. I, I didn't do that. But I would have had to you know, pay the money, take the oath, fill out the forms and have maybe some education. And the same is true in the, in the United States when people want to, to change. There are certain things you have to do. And, well, that's not to become a citizen in his family, uh, a citizen in his, in his kingdom, to become a child in his family, uh, to have his spirit dwell in you, there are no hoops to jump through. As it says in the call to worship, come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and he who has no money, come, buy and eat, buy wine and milk, without money and without price. It's free. It's free. He's inviting you to come, He's inviting you to, to get what really satisfies. You're created for a relationship with God. He's inviting you to have that for free. He wants to have that relationship with him. Listen diligently to me, it says there. Eat what is good. Delight yourself in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me. He promised in the scriptures, anybody who comes to me I will no way cast out. Just come to the Lord and you can have these identities that we've talked about today. Let's pray together.